1: This is my first podcast in the series. I'm really excited to be getting started with a a superstar guest, in, in my opinion. I've actually got Gerald Ratner here. Now, you may remember Gerald had a series of jewellery shops. And yes, there was that, that speech at the IOD where, um, you know, he said a few things about his products and uh, and, and lost, lost his business. But Gerald has a wealth of experience. In fact, at one point in the 90s, he had the highest sales per square foot of any store in Europe. He was turning over billions, owned Leslie Davis, owned Ratner's he had H Samuel, a whole series of other jewellery shops, about 50% of the UK jewellery market. So he knows a thing or two about business and about retail. So Gerald, welcome. Okay, so I hope you enjoy the interview as much as I will. Keep tuned in. There's going to be a whole series of these interviews with different people and my insights into business and investing. So let's get started. Okay, so... So there are quite a few names there that we'd know today, Gerald, like Watchers of Switzerland and H. Samuel and Leslie Davis. I'm understanding that those brands existed prior to you getting involved with them. Um, You were quite acquisitive, from my understanding. Is, Is that correct?
0: That's correct. And all those brands are still around today, including the ones in America. And people always thought, well, Ratner's was just Ratner's, but far from it. Okay, it's been renamed Signet. But that group of jewelry shops is worth something like 13 billion pounds today, with the acquisitions that I made. And uh, it was very important to buy companies like H. Samuel, Leslie Davis, because there's no branding in jewelry. There's no logo on a, on a ring like there is on a sort of uh, a handbag, if you like. So it was the name above the shop that was very valuable. And when we acquired H. Samuel... We put the same product into that that we had in Ratners, but they took three times as much because the name H. Samuel was so powerful. And that is the case, I don't know whether it's the case, in other businesses probably is, but certainly in jewellery, people feel much more comfortable buying from a well-known name than in jewellery than some independent.
1: Yeah, that is interesting. I know when I, I sourced a, a ring not so long ago for, my fiance the spread the difference in effectively the trade price and you know the price in somewhere like one of those names you've just mentioned was massive and that's probably in part due to the fact that that, that people like buying from those brand names because they're not sure what they're buying um, there's there's a lot of trust that goes with it i think with jewelry because it, it's not immediately obvious what it is you're getting
0: absolutely people are very scared of blood. but i was reading an article today where people like amani and h&m are buying actually from the same suppliers the same product but because of the amani brand people it carries a dramatic premium and that's what was very important to us in the jewelry business to try and accumulate the top brands and as you say, there's still around today, there's some that we didn't uh, manage to acquire, like, like Beaver Brooks and Goldsmiths. But we did get up to 50% of the jewelry market. And although we did have a very good formula, we had very good product, it was very important to house them in under a top brand.
1: Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. So, in terms of innovation and the value of it, and following proven business models, there's a bit of both there what you know what comes first do you is is Gerald an, an innovator or do you prefer going with the the well-established business model that you know the, the, the path that's well trodden what's your style
0: well the thing is that when we were going with just Ratners and we were going nowhere I looked at our watches for instance and I looked at our, our range of Seiko watches and they weren't really selling particularly well. And uh, one day the uh, salesman from Seiko came in and um, I said, we're not, I'm really not happy with the sales. He says, well, you're about average. You're taking, you're selling about 300 units per store. The best people are Beaverbrooks that are doing 500. Samuels are doing about 250. Ernest Jones about 150. So the top one is Beaverbrooks. He says, unless you count Green and Simons, who we give our, uh, end-of-line product, who, who they're, they're averaging 3,000 uh, units per shop. And then, I sort of say that again. Incredible. Incre- I, so to me, it was very clear that that's where the money was. I went down to Green and Simons immediately, and of course, all his watches were half price. And again, you know, people turn their nose up at that. It's not very innovative. You know, everybody's offering deals and stuff. But the fact was that here we were all selling the Seiko, the same models at the same price. But there was one guy who was happy to buy the stuff that nobody wanted and knock it out at half price and make a big song and dance about it. And his sales were out of all proportion to all of us who were competing with each other. So I clearly, I'm not an innovator, but I clearly saw where I wanted to go. I was greedy because a lot of my friends were doing very well in the 80s, it was a inquisitive time uh, and I was going nowhere. And I was very eager to find a solution to this problem of just static profits. And this was clearly it to change it uh, dramatically uh, to a more affordable, more price driven, more aggressive uh, approach. Uh, And that really kicked me off.
1: So effectively, you were the the, the modern day discounter. Uh, you were the Aldi and Lidl of the supermarket world, and you know you you weren't you weren't scared to upset the the status quo. I I think that that word greed's quite you know interesting. You know it, I I don't think profit should be a dirty word, and certainly in today's environment, you know companies get accused of being greedy or people get well actually a lot of entrepreneurs that are a little bit greedy, often end up growing their businesses the most and making the most profit. So it can, can often be quite a beneficial thing, I think. Um, absolutely. In any business, you
0: can't be timid about it. There is – some people do think, well, you know, you're a bit in your face, you're a bit too pushy, but <laughs> there's a lot of people out there a hell of a lot more pushy than you. And uh, it is the ones that are absolutely driven and focused and ruthless – It's not a question of sort of uh, winning awards for friendship and popularity. It's not like that in business. Um, you have to be absolutely single-minded, whatever it takes and whatever it does within legal parameters.
1: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, yeah, this is um, this is something we've learned over the years. If you want to make friends, well, you know, go to the village fate. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, you've 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 really got to be um, sharp, focused, and um, yeah. and and you've you've got to focus on beating your competition. Yeah. So one tip that you could give our listeners to, you know, to save them the most money in their business, you know, save money, you know, increase the margin, make more profit, have a successful business. How, how can people save the most money in their business?
0: Well, people you know, are too eager to throw money around, especially with a new venture where however good you are, it's got quite a poor record of success. And uh, I was looking at uh, the situation in terms of Google, Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, all the hugely successful businesses uh, in America. They've managed to get finance for all of these businesses, uh, whereas in the UK, people cannot get finance at all. I know America's a much bigger country, but there's something like 50 times more finance available in the states people have got the balls to really go for it and that's how These fantastic businesses have been created in the states and we haven't created anything like that in the UK So it's very difficult to get finance So I was in that situation when I tried to start my health club in Henley after I lost I was kicked out of my Ratners and I didn't do anything for seven years and I didn't have any money but I wanted to start up a health club business. But I didn't sort of call in people to do sort of market research into where to open a club or to do or to study demographics or anything like that. What I did is I just basically found a site, told the agent that I was interested in buying it, put it under contract, and then started selling membership. So if I didn't sell any membership, I put an advert in the paper saying that I owned it or People have assumed you owned it if you advertise for the club's opening in three months' time. And I got 800 people to sign up. Now, if I didn't get anyone to sign up on that club, I wouldn't have signed the deal. I wouldn't have bought the property. But because I did get so many people and I got the direct evidence, it's actually helped me raise the money then to acquire the, the, the building to then open the club. So I did it, if you like, the other way around from what most people do, It actually sold membership before I bought the bought the, the property, most people would buy the property, spend a lot of money on doing research and all that sort of stuff. And of course, you you know, so you have to be a bit fly. Yes, I gave everybody the impression that I already had, I don't know whether they would have signed up if they knew I didn't even own the building, but there you go. And I think that uh, you have to be a bit innovative like that into, in this country. Because of the difficulty of raising finance in America you don't have to do anything like that people will back you
1: that is interesting I know within our business you know if we can sell a course you know that's uh, some period ahead or you know we have some sort of advanced ticket sales or you know money up front for DVD sets or whatever that can help develop a new business or as you say fund it you know as, as long as you know you can deliver on it in the end or you know, if it all goes wrong, just refund the people. Then it, it you know, it can be a good way to, to, to grow things, and um, that's certainly there's something that we've done over the years. I remember in the in the early days, you can't do it anymore, but a lot of letting agents used to be able to keep the deposits, and uh, a few of the letting agents around here, you know, they got up to four or five hundred properties. They used all the deposits to buy properties for themselves, and then refinance them, and then put the money back in the pot. <laughs> so that, um,
0: if you do things by the book. You'll go the same way as the 99 or 0.9% of the rest of the population. What you've got to do is you've got to have an angle for you, something that gives you a huge advantage over everybody else. You've got to look, and yeah, as you've just described, that was one angle. Okay, you can't do it anymore, but there'll be something else. It changes; it's a moving target. But you cannot do something. You cannot just join the club and do do it in the normal way, in that routine approach. And, you know, like everybody else does, you have to find an indirect approach. Something is different from everybody else. And sometimes it's a bit naughty. You're flying a bit close to the wind. So what? When I used to take shops, a lot of people used to, state agents used to say, well, that's a good town. This is a good town. They gave me loads of figures. I didn't need all that. What did I do? I used to phone up another jeweler and pretend that I was the head office. <laughs> Brilliant. Asked yeah. what their sales were last week, and they gave it to me. <laughs> Brilliant, With authoritative voice. Uh, people tend to answer. You know, I used to say, "Oh, we got a, a, this is head office here. We got a query on your figures." Uh, we got 12,000 last week. He, oh no, no, we didn't take 12,000. So he got quite indignant because he'd taken a lot more than that. We took 18,200. So I thought, yeah, I'll go into that town. It's worth it. But then, of course, other towns i phoned up, they weren't doing so well. And that was a much bet. That was like selling membership. That's the acid test. Uh, never mind about all the uh, speculation or looking at figures and taking a, a, a guesstimate whether this is going to work or not. This was actually rock-solid information, knowing that you'll succeed if you open up in that town.
1: Yeah, because a lot of the time, the, the information you've rec- been receiving off everybody else will be nonsense and, and, and probably some, some lies to put you off a centre anyway.
0: It always is, Mark. People have got hidden agendas. Sorry to say it's about estate agents, yeah. any advisors. They will do. They will. They will advise you. They will talk to you, based on what they want the outcome to be, not what your outcome is going to be. Yeah. And uh, I was made. People used to call me a bit paranoid because I never used to discuss things with co-directors uh, because I always felt they had hidden agendas. So if I wanted to find any real information about what's going on, I used to talk to the managers of the shops or the staff because it's difficult sometimes to get facts from people, and you cannot uh, make decisions without. The right
1: facts. it's interesting. I you mentioned estate agents, but I do something similar when I'm trying to work out um, say there's a new block of flats just gone in. it's in a new area, and I'm not sure exactly what they're really selling for, what they're really worth. And of course you talk to the local agents and if the agent who's selling you the the office or the the building that you're buying to convert into the flats, if he's going to be involved in the sales of the flats in in the end or, or or not he's probably going to be giving you rather high figures for what they're going to be worth once converted or if you've got a new build site it'd be similar so what i often do is i i ring up the agent and just say hi it's mark from countrywide and you know they often immediately assume i'm a surveyor and then they reel off all the sales values and um i end up with um you know the reality of of what they've actually sold similar flats for in the area rather than the nonsense that they, they tell you when they're showing you around. So, um...
0: Yeah, that, that's very interesting. And, and I find that the, the UK, people in this country are very defensive. They don't actually volunteer information. I don't know what they're worried about. In the States, it's very different. You hear even sort of the police making an announcement in this country. You don't know what they... They won't tell you a thing. They keep it all under their chest because they're worried about their own careers. In America... The police tell you exactly what's happened to this murder. And I remember when I went to the States, and as I said, we were one of the few retailers to succeed there. I simply, and I had advisors and a lot of people, Tesco spent a year having a mock-up shop there. They still made a flop of it. Mark's made a flop. But when I went to the States, I just basically went to the malls, and the mall owner would quite happily volunteer because he wanted people to, he thought I was going to take a shop there he would give me all the figures of all the shops in the mall and now clearly there was one jeweler whichever mall I went to that was taking more than everybody else and I ended up buying him and' it's, it's always better to sidestep the sort of conventional conventional wisdom conventional advisors and do things your own way that satisfy yourself. You've got to be a contrarian, haven't you, Gerald? Yeah, don't take what anybody says. Question it. You know, don't take conventional wisdom. Don't accept uh, all the, you know, what everybody... Maybe you do get good advice, but make sure that you've done your own detective work in a forensic way to make sure that actually what people are saying to you is accurate and find out the facts for yourself.
1: Yeah, trust but
0: verify. You can really get sold down the river by listening to people you really regret it. So satisfy yourself, do your own detective work. be your be Columbo, check it all out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it's not wrong I'll, but you can just improve your odds. So I've got my Columbo jacket on and I'm out and I'm looking I'm, I'm searching around, I'm using my detective skills and I'm looking for finance in the UK. not as easy as, as in America. Where could people look? if they were looking to raise money to start a business?
0: Well, the thing is in America, you can get an appointment with anybody and you can phone out and people pick up the phone to you. And they will list, everybody wants to make a buck there. And they, will, they think that you, know, you could be their ticket. So it's, people are much more accessible and you know you, you you I'm not just sort of saying how much better america is than the uk but it is a fact that if you look at all these um, especially in the internet all the great businesses now are american this is something new and i believe it is because you've been you can raise money people are much more, i mean it's a fantastic thing when you look at people like bill gates the internet didn't even exist and he was he was going around you know talking about computers and that sort of stuff and the same with Apple it's just fantastic so people are looking if you if, if in the UK you started talking about computers in the 1970s and the 1980s people think you're bonkers they just would think no you're, this is not not for us but people are completely open-minded there so there, there's, a, it's, there, there's a hell of a, lot of a lot of people tend to in the UK make a lot of money and then sort of disappear into the Cotswolds for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: Specifically the Cotswolds.
0: Yeah, yeah there's a lot <laughs> of people in America, a lot of businessmen that don't, they don't seem, they, they just have a work ethic and they don't retire and they just carry on. I've seen people in their 80s and 90s in all sorts of business, always interested in a completely different business, somebody who's running a fashion business, but they're looking to invest. People are looking to invest. I think it will become like that in this country but we are behind in that area
1: does tend to move quicker it's quicker yeah it does tend to move and you already see in this country you know changes and certainly the internet i mean in our industry you know the the way in which courses are sold the way in which property investments are sold and 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 you know online dvds and webinars and all this sort of stuff it is moving towards what they do in America but as you say it's it's much slower and it's almost like we're more resistant to change than the uh, than our friends on the other side of the Atlantic.
0: Yeah, um, but your business is much more American than uh, than a lot of businesses here because it's all to do with selling. And make no mistake this is what we all do. I'm selling now. It's all about selling. Don't be embarrassed. Some people phone up, you know, they've got very annoyed they get cold calls and they slam the phone down. I never slam down the phone because I respect somebody who's trying to sell because that's what we're doing the whole time. But some somehow, you know, a lot of people feel sort of embarrassed. They think it's beneath them to sell. But, you know, I started off selling in the shop and, that was, and nothing has changed. You know, I was three foot behind the customer, behind the counter, trying to sell them a watch or a ring or something like that, and I'm still doing the same thing today in in a different way we're also and i've seen the way your company where the people in your company are selling and it's fantastic it's a hard sell but it you know that that is what gets you that's what gets you up the ladder
1: yeah well i appreciate that thank you gerald it means a lot coming from you especially no i'm very impressed
0: but what i've seen i'm incredibly impressed thank you
1: yeah I'm just kind of touching on something there that you mentioned, you know, you, you've kept on keeping on, you, you've, you've stayed largely in the same industry, you're very much into, you know, long-term investment. There's lots of short-term things, lots of fads, things that come, they go, they don't work, generally not going to be of much use to people. What single long-term investing strategy would you say always stands the test of time?
0: Well, I think, it is important that you, you know, business is a bit like a work of art. And if you see a painting by Canaletto, which is the Grand Canal of Venice, he decided to paint that. Now this guy, yes, he had a vision. He wanted to paint the Grand Canal of Venice, but actually there's a lot of detail that goes into it. You look at the little boats, the rower, the muscles on his arms, the details of all the windows on the palaces. Yes, he had a vision, but he also executed it with incredible detail. Now, there's no getting away from that. A lot of people think that the internet is some panacea, they can come up with some app and uh, it's going to be successful, but my experience isn't like that. It is just getting the little things right. I mean, when we went to America, a lot of people export their formula from the UK, but we realized, it's a totally different market. Yes, they speak the same language, but they are—they might as well live in igloos. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's massive. Uh, they buy a totally different products. So you have to do. It's no good just running in there, being arrogant, thinking that you're going to succeed in any market without actually learning from your mistakes. And yes, I've been in the jewelry business—god knows how many years since I was 16. I wouldn't like to say—and I'm still learning the whole time. It is a question of detail. Somebody said, "Retail is detail. Everything is detail." There's a guy that I know who sold his business for sixty million pounds. What does he do? He makes coat hangers. Not very high tech. Uh, not very sexy. But he knows that business back to front. You know, he knows where to buy them. He knows how to design them. He knows how to market them. He knows how to sell. Them. I
1: think, you know. You've got to be a specialist, so really it's it's about implementation, execution, focusing on the detail and and clarity really.
0: yeah, and then one day suddenly you will become you know a huge superstar it's not it's 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 as your competitors and I've seen my competitors go into the jewelry business, which is a specialized group making ele- making basic mistakes I mean h Samuel called in a company called Fitch to redesign because it was a thing to call in designers at the time to redesign your shops, bring in new colours. But these designers knew nothing about the jewellery business and they were displaying watches on the top shelf and you couldn't see them. Now, we display our diamond rings always at 42 inches from the ground because the average woman is five foot four, and the trajectory of her eye falls at 42 inches. So that's the optimum height where she's going to see that diamond ring. It's going to be lit. It's going to look at its best. It's just like taking a picture. But some people don't know how to take a picture. You've got to get it right. And it's just getting those things right. And suddenly, I mean, you know that as an expert in the property business. That the, you know, you can see that you get amateurs coming and making mistakes. You don't have to be a genius. You just have to make sure that your competitors don't deal with the detail in the way that you do. And, but, you know, it takes a long time.
1: I guess in your career, you've had quite a lot to do with the, the media, you know, of uh, had lots that they've had to say. You've had times when you, you were probably maybe best not trusting them. Um, what advice would you give to somebody who is starting a business or, or running a business about listening to or trusting the media?
0: Well, you know, there is that whole thing. I don't like to reel out clichés about building you up and knocking you down. Uh, Just look at Philip Green. Um, It's horrendous. And that is what they do. What's the next story? I mean, there was a time when the Ratner's brand was outperforming any brand. In fact, we were taking more money per square foot than any retailer in Europe. And one of the reasons was that we were getting so much publicity about how, how successful we were, the place to go to. and But boy, did I pay for that in the end. And you always do. There's no such thing as a free lunch. So, you know, it might be nice for some entrepreneur to see their picture in the paper and think how handsome they are and have all their friends look at it and think, oh, how successful they are. But make no mistake, and I don't want to sound like sort of some sort of Jeremiah, but it there's very few instances, maybe Richard Branson's an exception, but there's very few instances where, at the end of the day, and in the long run, that that is going to be a positive experience.
1: Well, you you only, you know, you see it each time a, a prime minister finishes. It's almost like, you know, Tony Blair's there, he does all this stuff, he's got this media machine running, uh, there's, you know, he, he manages to Teflon away all, all the issues, there's, lots of positivity around him he leaves and it starts to go south and then within a few years they're calling him a war criminal and you know he's he's taken all this money from here there and the other and you kind of think well the guy's probably no different it's just the media doing its thing and you know he he probably doesn't have the same level of PR and and backup and you know people dealing with the media I presume and you just see the same thing happening with David Cameron as well now it was all very positive and now it's turning negative, And I, I wonder if that's a similar thing.
0: Well, these people are the most successful people. Tony Blair, unbelievable, winning three elections for Labour. Incred- he was walking on water. He was like God. Cameron took the Conservatives from nowhere. Yeah. Yet, here you are. So if these two successful people, and they're the most successful people in our generation, ended up with the most diabolical publicity, well, mm. Cameron is getting it, but not, nothing like as bad as Tony Blair, just shows you that you cannot win by flirting with the newspapers. Now, the politicians have got no choice. Uh, they have to be in the media. Businessmen have got a choice. They can avoid it. And the most successful businessmen, I have to say, and I don't want to sound negative, are the ones that you've never heard of. And and I must tell you that on the other side of the coin, all these entrepreneurs that you read about, about their million pound companies and their success and their made, it is all compiled of you know what. It's None of it is accurate. You can say whatever you like, and the papers are very happy to print it, because they know that this could lead to a story of your downfall next year. I mean, I don't want to sound cynical, I know I do, but I've got a, a lot of experiences, uh, a lot of experience with friends and stuff like that, and uh, you know, I grew up with a Charles Sarches in this world, and they've all the ones that are high profile have ended up having, as you say, the most horrendous uh, publicity and, and it's all been paid back in full by the papers because that's the nature of the beast. So it is a temptation when they phone you up and you think you've made it and they wanna do a profile on you and they wanna do you know, some sort of thing in the Sunday magazines. It's very difficult to turn it down but they're not doing you any favors. They're doing it for themselves and they are totally ruthless and they will get you in the end. And uh, I, I strongly, I know it's difficult, but I strongly recommend that the um, entrepreneur would avoid the press as much as possible.
1: Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting you say that. I mean, another great example would be Max Clifford, you know, right in the middle of it, creating the stories. and And of course, you know, they've just feasted on his downfall. And yeah. um, and and obviously that was, you know, there were other things at play there, and there were other reasons. And yes, quite rightly, you know, he, he, you know, he's done some things he shouldn't have done, and quite rightly they've reported that. But it's been doubly bad because of kind of what exactly, what, yeah. If he,
0: if he was somebody that we'd hadn't heard of, or if I was somebody that I'd, nobody would have, wouldn't have had all that bad publicity. The higher you, 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 the higher profile. And Philip Green, you know, if the guy that ran British Home Stores was some anonymous guy in a grey suit and he didn't have a yacht, he wouldn't have any bad publicity. Everybody goes bust. There's nothing wrong you know, in building up a business and unfortunately selling it for a pound or it's going, but Richard Branson sold Virgin Megastores for a pound. Uh, He manages to get away with it. He's the one exception. I don't know how he does it. But um, a lot of the, uh, you know, Max Clifford, I used Max Clifford. He was my PR guy and he'd get me all the publicity that I wanted. Phenomenal. But as you say, you know, he ended up paying a much bigger price than he would have paid if he wasn't Max Clifford.
1: So, Gerald, you've had some huge successes. I mean, I didn't even know that until, uh, you know, a few moments ago where you, I think you said you had, was it the highest sales per square foot for any company in Europe? Was that right?
0: Yes, Ratner's per square foot took more money than any other
1: retailer in Europe okay well that's that's incredible to me what do you think your biggest success is through through your whole career
0: well I it's not really for me to say because I've had huge setbacks obviously the one the obvious one in 1991 but I mean I think that it was it is quite difficult when you do lose everything to get back on your feet and I really did lose everything um, my shares went from 425p to 2p after the speech. And I, had, I still had, because I had share options, I had massive uh, tax bills. So in 1992, I was in a negative equity situation.
1: What were your shares worth, Gerald? 420, 20, whatever they were? Well, today the company is worth
0: 13 billion pounds. So, you know, although it was worth a lot less than that, Couple of billion in in today's terms, you know, it was a massively successful company, and you've got to remember that uh, when I became managing director, it was worth 13 million, and you know, within uh, and not only were we taking more money per square foot than the other shop in in Europe, our shares in 1986 uh, were the highest performing share. They went from about 35p to uh four pounds
1: incredible so,
0: you, know, you were talking about a hugely successful business based on a very simple formula Although, so, yes go ahead
1: so if effectively you, you took it from a value of did you say 13 million to 2 billion yes mm. and
0: well, profit and profits of 125 million
1: and that was in 1991 mm, that's, long I mean, it's that's just flabbergasting and um you know i I, I'm not one to sm- blow smoke up people's bottoms but I mean I, I think that's um, you know good enough on it on you know as a success on its own I mean it's it's qu- they're quite incredible numbers
0: they are incredible numbers but yet on Twitter every day I'm regard- if anybody screws up uh, they've done a rat now
1: <laughs> <laughs> I take it as a compliment Gerald you know if Boris Johnson still remembers you uh, after all this time Then uh, you That'd must be, be doing pretty- something right
0: he wanted insult david cameron he he called him the joel ratner of politics uh yeah i built a business to the world's largest jewelry business i lost it all over a stupid joke i then built uh, a successful health club which gave me the finance to to then build the biggest online jewelers in the uk but with all of that i am regarded as the poster boy of failure so Mm -hmm. i get that and uh if anybody as i said on twitter every day i get an insult no i don't you know they, i do get a few compliments from people in business who do know the truth but so there you go so it just shows you that's life and uh, you know i did make a mistake and i only blame myself for it but i mean there's uh, I, I defy anybody to go through a business career or to go through life without screwing up once or twice
1: yeah and 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 that's interesting it, it, if we don't have setbacks and we we don't make mistakes then we don't move forward and I you know the entrepreneurs that, that don't have those issues I, I often believe either don't exist or aren't pushing themselves and aren't necessarily getting to the next level you you obviously went down a long way but you've recovered and you've built at least two that I know of successful businesses since how did you recover from it what what did you do
0: Well, I didn't do anything for seven years. I believed everything that was said about me in the press. And uh, even though I know that everything in the press is inaccurate, and whenever I know the inside track of something, I I definitely know it's inaccurate. But nevertheless, I believed my own publicity, that I was unemployable. And as I uh, often say when I, I do speeches nowadays, that I was watching Countdown in bed. That was the highlight of my day. That's how low I, I became. But then my wife, and sometimes you do need somebody to give you a kick up the backside, uh, threatened to kick me out unless I got a job. And um, it's a bit like if you're in a room with a smell, you don't actually smell it yourself till you go out into the fresh there. I was in that room, no, not literally, or maybe literally for all I know, but I was in that bedroom for seven years. And a lot of people's lives... Are like that. They their lives are shit, but they accept. Hmm. They accept it. They think that's that's it. You know, they're too scared to go out and try something else. Uh, And it's a wonderful feeling when you do go out. And I yeah, I was threatened with divorce and everything. So I I was doing a lot of cycling around. So I did decide that I I had to do something. And I thought well, because I was cycling around. I could see the merits of health because it was the one thing that was keeping me sane actually because i was going through a very miserable period as you can imagine mm. and uh yeah i did open up this health club in the way that i've described i blagged my way into acquiring the building blagged my way into selling the thing and that i then sold it for four million pounds of course these numbers are nothing like the numbers that uh, i was used to mm. but felt much more rewarding than any money that I'd ever made before, even though it was much greater, because I'd made it from from scratch. And you know, so then I used that money or half of it to uh, to launch Gerald Online, and we're now, you know, not only in the UK, we're in India. So um, in a way, although my business today is nothing like as um, the size of the old business, it's it's much more pleasurable you get much more satisfaction so i advise anybody like yourself mark who's in a in a very successful businesses and doing very well is, is to enjoy the moment and don't always think well you know it's not enough somebody else is doing better than me i've got to be bigger just i know that you do enjoy your success you have but it's very. but i didn't say so much i was always striving for more and um you know, you should really appreciate it while you're up there because there's no guarantee that you're going to be up there, I'm not talking about you, but yeah. there's no guarantee you're going to be up there permanently because business has got a nasty habit and life's got a nasty habit of surprising you.
1: And and I suppose, you know, the, it's the journey that you've really got to focus on as much as the destination. That's uh... yeah,
0: the journey and it's, there's no final thing, You're you know, it is the journey that's enjoyable it's it's you know when you actually get there but i you know i enjoy life a lot at the moment I'm much more relaxed i'm less anxious i do a lot of speeches and i thankfully you've given me some which i really enjoy meeting people and um, talking about all my calamities in a, in a self-deprecating way and it was only when i did that and laughed about it that i came to terms with it when i was sort of public enemy number one I was sort of like the Philip Green of my day yeah. uh, although I wouldn't compare myself to it in any way whatsoever, you don't have any friends and you, but it's only now today that by laughing at it like everybody else and not taking yourself too seriously and not being pompous that I you know, it doesn't bother me anymore what I did um, I, you know, come to terms with it I think that uh, it's, it's, it's only business after all. You know, you're not at war. <laughs> don't make, don't, Sometimes
1: don't get, it feels like that, Gerald. <laughs> uh, no. Actually, I
0: take that back. It is a bit like war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, you know, Phil Shankly always said that classic remark when uh, they said it's not a matter of life or death. He said, no, it's much more serious than that. No. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's why he was so successful, who knows. But yeah. it doesn't make you happy. Driving yourself mad like that, beating yourself
1: up. No, and 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 for me, it doesn't it doesn't help me sleep. Um, no, it. Um, yeah, I I I've certainly um, calmed down a bit in the last couple of years and tried to enjoy, enjoy the journey more and um, de-stressed. And my God, you can be so much more productive because you, you you relax, you contemplate, you know, and you strategize and use your time more effectively, and you end up with something better in the end. I think anyway.
0: Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I do have today, which makes me a better businessman when I was in my 30s and 40s, is I don't do anything like a knee-jerk reaction. Everything then, there was such a rush. Mm. Wait five minutes. If somebody wants a decision, it had to be instant. Now I say, well, let me think about it. And I might go for a bicycle ride and clear the air. So because a lot of decisions are not made in the boardroom or in the office, they're made when you're more relaxed. I find I get all my best ideas when I'm on my butt. I cycle 22 miles a day and I, I get my best You're ideas. Still,
1: yeah, that's interesting. I'd, um, yeah, I'd not realize you went out every day quite that far. Yeah. Yeah.
0: One good thing that's come out of not running a large public company anymore, losing my job, is I do actually have the time now to cycle. And it's very important because it's just, you just think more clearly. You're not in this bubble the whole
1: time. And do you, do you have any other hobbies, interests outside of business, similar to cycling? I mean, do you, you obviously love jewellery and, and, you know, I think you love the marketing. I know that's business, but that's probably also your hobby as well. What else do you, what else do you enjoy?
0: Well, I tend to be uh, somebody who does everything in a routine. I don't know why. I just feel more comfortable. I go, I've been going to Portugal for the last 23 years. Uh, exactly the same place, the same restaurant, same thing. I do and every morning I get up and I do my twenty well it's now twenty five mile cycle, it used to be twenty two, which is nearly two hours. I come home, I have a shower, I have my fit in my car, drink my lovely espresso, which is don't that gives me a high. I arrive in my office in Vista and I haven't really got time for any of it. I come home. And, uh, you know, the beauty of running an online business is that I can do it all. I could run it on a, in a, from a debt chair in South End. It's all done on the Internet. I mean, it's not the same as when I had the shops because there's no camaraderie or anything like that. And, uh, but, you know, it, it, I do tend to do this. And sometimes in the evening, I would go out and do a speech. Um, I would go up north or Manchester or something like that. So I really haven't got any time for anything you know, I do the things that I love the most, and that is is the cycling. So um, I wouldn't have time for, for golf or anything like that or watching TV. I don't really watch TV, you know, but I, I do. I tend to try and fill the day with things that I love doing. So when I wake up in the morning, I look forward to it. So that's what I do. But I mean, I do get accused by my wife of being a bit sad, uh, you know, always doing exactly the same things but maybe I'm uh, I don't know what I am but you're I- a
1: creature of habit Gerald
0: yeah which, yeah
1: uh, which yeah. We, you know a lot of people are and a lot of the most successful people are I think because as you say you, you keep refining the thing when you do it over and over don't you and um, it, it probably yeah. makes you more successful
0: yeah, well, I'm a better cyclist than I was. <laughs> yeah. well, I suppose you <laughs> could be. Yeah, yeah. I've got a right bike with the right uh, clothes and the right uh, shoes and all that sort of stuff. Very important, those little things. But, uh, yeah, you do learn over the years um, to try and perfect things. And uh, I suppose I'm perfectionist in that, in, that, in that. Yeah.
1: So starting, for those who are going to start a new business and, you know, they're they're kicking around ideas, they're wondering how they're going to structure this thing, would you say it's a good idea for them to go and look at other business models and maybe not copy them, but maybe model what other businesses are doing or try and do something completely individual and and, and different?
0: Well, it depends. If you're a genius, then that's fine. You can do that. I'm not a genius. So I tend to uh, go along... With with what is clearly what is successful, and and uh, you know, so I'm always find that I'm copying people. I'm always looking at up websites. Just I mean, in the early days of Gerald Online, we didn't know anything. This was two thousand and three. Didn't know, there wasn't didn't anything, and I saw that I was reading the paper. The ASSOS, you know, the clothing.
1: Yeah,
0: we're doing phenomenal business. So I went actually onto their, um, I was gonna go to their meeting, but I I, I was gonna buy one pound share and listen to the chief executive there. But instead I realized he put it all on the internet on his corporate site, And he said things like he sends 500,000 emails twice a week to female customers and 200,000 emails to his male customers. I thought, oh God, I hate getting emails that I think, but clearly, he was doing something right. He was work- it was working, these emails. So you can get a lot of information from successful companies. Firstly, you've got to find those successful companies. When I was in retail, it's very simple. I used to go to the shops and walk down sort of uh, Manchester Arndale Centre or Oxford Street or something like that, and I could see the shops that were busy and the shops that were quiet. And so I would copy the ones that were busy. I'd just, you know, get that. As I've always said, it's not rocket science. But, yeah, I tend to uh, not be innovative, uh, to copy people. Sadly, we're all like sheep. If you look at television programs, you know, once it was all sort of interior design, then everybody wanted more interior design. Then it was gardening. Then it was business programs apprentices like and Dragons. People just want more of the same. They're a bit like me. So it's no good trying to be Mr. Clever and educating people and reinventing the wheel. If that's what people want, if they want soap operas, whatever you might think of EastEnders, that is what people want. Give it to them. That's always given my customers. You know, some people say, well, you know, they've criticized me for selling down market i give the customers what they want and that's it and uh, if you are starting a new business as you say clearly find out what there's a massive demand for what are the most successful products whether it's the iphone or whatever or uh, could be some popular type of wine that people are drinking whatever go down that route don't don't start going into a field that nobody's interested in you know go to the most popular and get involved in that. A lot of people actually want, made a lot of money on the back of other people, you know, people like who've developed apps for iPhone or the, or, you know, because iPhone's so successful, they've developed good earphones for them or speakers, you know, they've gone on, they, they, there's no question in business about having any pride. They've, they, if you like they're parasites they've gone on the back of somebody else's success. So you know try I think it's very important to define what is successful and be in that field and then it's great you're in a business people come up to you and say well you're in the right t- field you're in the right business but you know, you might what's the point of going into an area that is, is, is down? Somebody I know spoke just went into trying to buy golf clubs. I said, why are you buying golf clubs when golf is 20% down, when nobody's got the time to play golf anymore? Why You're starting a new business, and you are volunteering to go into the worst sector. I don't understand it. So, you know, it's quite simple,
1: really. That is interesting. I, I mean, most of the, the most successful new businesses that I see coming to market, certainly in our tech sector, are re-effectively rehashes of an existing theme or they use an existing model they get you know different marketing or they get customers to engage in a different way or they repurpose it or they they have a different theme around it and change it a little bit but you know go very deep understand it a lot focus on the detail and and actually make a successful business from it the 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 ones that don't work are, are often creating a whole new model you know taking a lot of risks and it just ends up being reckless
0: um and he medals for being innovative and uh you know inventive you get medals for making money
1: <laughs> i like that i'm gonna remember that <laughs> this you guy he's the most unfashionable money. business
0: that i know yeah. uh, last year lending money everybody hates him yeah. he's making a bloody fortune you know he's doing payday loans is he yeah, yeah. i mean i don't know about today but he, boy has he had a good run over the last five years, since the banks have stopped doing that sort of stuff,
1: it was a bit like smash and grab, wasn't it? it was uh, it worked for a while?
0: It was, that it, was, it was clear there was much money to be made yeah. there, just in your business in property. So let's 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 go into property because that's where it's been phenomenal.
1: Yeah, the, the
0: people are always worried that they're, they're going to be sort of there's too many people in it. But there's too many people in it
1: because it's good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you know, you've had massive I'm highs.
0: You're you've had... trying to be too clever. Anyway, sorry, carry on, Mark.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You've had huge highs. You've you've had a few lows. What are your goals and ambitions now for Gerald over the next twenty years? You know, what what do you want to achieve with say, you know, your, your online business or or anything else?
0: Well, I went to one of your seminars. And there was a very good speaker who said to everybody, where do you want to be in 15 years time? Think about that. And I thought, well, I'm 66. I'd like to be alive in 15 years time. But, you know, funny enough, I had this guy that came around yesterday to the office. He's 80 years old. I wouldn't believe it because <clears throat> I said to him, you, you know, you can carry, he's a cyclist. And I, I said, oh, you can carry on till you're 80. I didn't realize he was 80, but he's kept young by working very hard. And it does, by using your brain and pushing yourself, it does keep you young. You know, I learned from those seven years of not using my brain, you just stagnate. And it's very important that you keep exercising your brain. So we, you know, we've just recently um, launched in India and uh, that is a challenge because there's not a lot of credit cards out there, which is in an internet business, you can imagine. Mm. It's very difficult. But again, it's, and there's lots of barriers with bureaucracy there, but um, it's such a phenomenal
1: market. Massive it's, it's, population, it's huge, not, huge growth, not, not, growth, I guess there's not much competition, you'd yeah. be paving the way.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I'm going there really for the same reasons that I went to America, because everything about America, I was told, don't go there. Retailers will, will fail. It wouldn't be successful. So but I looked at the size of the market and I thought, well, if I'm going to crack a market, I'd rather crack America than Holland. Or <laughs> I, did, I did go into Holland. That was a complete
1: disaster.
0: <laughs> well, the problem with Holland is that they don't, uh, in the jewellery business, they don't actually celebrate Christmas. Give Christmas presents, and as no, no, no. uh, business is all based around Christmas, it was a bit of a drawback. So, uh, <laughs> good to know. <laughs> good to know I, I found that out a bit late. So, yeah, India, yeah, I'd rather go to a huge market again using my sort of not rocket science obvious decision making, uh, and that's why I've gone to India because if you can crack that. Uh, it's absolutely enormous. And you look at all the startups, you look at all the millionaires, they all seem to be coming you know, kind of from India at the moment. and There's so much going on there. So it's very exciting, very, you know. So, so that is very And I love, you know, I love business because I actually think, you know, business is a game of chess. You are using your brain against the best brains, which I don't regarding politics or in, uh, here I am probably getting myself into trouble or in the public service like the, uh, you know, other things. But uh, I I just think it is business where you do find the great competition, the great great brains challenging, you know, and you really do get a great feeling uh, when you're really flat out, you know, trying to outdo a competitor and you do do that. You know, it is like winning a game of chess, and you do get great feeling. So for the next, you know, I hope to just carry on uh, because I'm really enjoying the challenge at the moment. Um, And 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 because I lost it all, and and I'm having, if you like, a second lease of life. I really, I don't want to get too cheesy, but I am really appreciating it. Um, And the worst thing is to sit at home just spare you know watching countdown as i did not that, <laughs> well, it's a bad program but you know what yeah. i mean um, you have got to you've got to uh, that's the way we've been built to to, to, to uh, really you know work hard and, uh, and 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 to face these challenges using your brain and having one and business is one problem after the other to deal with and, and you know it can be very enjoyable it's probably more enjoyable than doing anything else yeah but, but it's for me anyway
1: yeah, well, uh, and uh, I'm I'm sure it will be, you know, over, over the next ten, fifteen years, growing your business in India. Because I imagine you'll you'll have some massive challenges. But my God, that's a huge market. And I I just um, yeah, you know, I'd love to interview you again in a few years' time. You know, when you've made it a success, and um, you know, just to hear about some of your stories, because um, it'll be fascinating. I I, I can uh, I can just see it now. Um, well,
0: I'd very much like to do that. I'd very much do that. And it is it is a a very ambitious target to succeed there, and but you know it's much more enjoyable when, when you have got when you are trying to climb a mountain uh, rather than just just going up a, a small hill. So yeah, it is. and we might not succeed, but. Um,
1: you'll have fun getting there won't you
0: we will we will we have a lot of aggravation because the bureaucracy there is horrendous but uh again that puts people uh, my competitors off so i quite like that
1: well you probably need to go and make some friends with some politicians i would have thought gerald it, it seems to have uh, helped a lot of other people
0: yeah yeah well i lost all my friends like that when i lost my job people say uh you know who your friends are. Well, I certainly didn't get invited to Buckingham Palace or 10 Downing Street anymore after, <laughs> uh, after when I lost all my money. So, uh,
1: yeah, you learn who uh, who who your real friends are and who you, who's going to be there. Uh, yeah, yeah. Those times are quite telling, aren't they? They certainly are. They certainly are. Well, Gerald, it's been fascinating interviewing you. You know, it's it's something I've wanted to do for a long time. I, I watched you as a little boy. I was only. You know, I was in my very. I was just just over ten when when you had your your major downfall. So, you know, I, I it's it's something I wanted to do for for most of my life. So, thank you, I really appreciated it, and uh, I've learned a lot myself. So, um, well, thanks
0: this- for those kind words, Mark. I do appreciate it coming from you, I particularly as somebody as successful as you and Rob. I can assure you, your business is a hell of a lot bigger than mine is today. So I do admire what you've achieved and uh, it's fantastic in such a short time.
1: Thank you. That's, uh, that's, that's very kind of you. And, um, and uh, that leaves uh, nothing more for me to, uh, to add other than to, to thank you for listening. This has been Mark Homer for Mark My Words, over and out.